You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Katie Burke. Today we have special guest, um, a three-peat guest, Colin McNair from Copley Fine Art Auctions. He has been on the show before. He was episode 67 and 68. Um, I think that was back in January of 21. And we're just going to kind of catch up on what's been going on the last year and then a few other topics. How are you today, Colin? I'm doing great, Katie. Thanks so much for having me back. This is really exciting. So it's been a full year. So you've had, I know, two big auctions since then. Um, maybe a third, or you just had the third, like y'all did that. Yeah, so we've had two two major auctions since then. They've been two of the most successful decoy auctions of all time, Uh you know, we had when COVID and lockdowns came around, that certainly affected us as it did everyone. Uh, the lead time for auctions is usually pretty long. Um, so once we, we got back to, to doing our thing, we had our, it was our most successful winter sale ever this February, 2021. And we did just about 5 million in that sale. And we just had our last sale here in July where we did uh, 4.4 million, a little over that. So yeah, we're, we're getting close to 10 million on the year. Uh, so, so our biggest year ever. Uh, and by decoy industry standards, you know, that's usually what the whole industry would do in a year. So it's been a banner year here at Copley and for decoys in general. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. In this last year, what have you learned? Because it's been so different from this last year in the market of mostly going online. And what have you learned that's happened in the last year with auctions in the market? And what do you think you're going to take forward? We've learned a lot and we're, we're still learning a lot. One of the great things that we really like to see, and I imagine you probably see some parallels to this, is when people were locked down and... Uh, couldn't couldn't do some of the things they typically would. They they went to the country and they went and played outside and they got down to some of their core passions. And uh, there's a lot of passion involved in in duck hunting and in the outdoors. And we absolutely saw some of that come into our field of collectibles because it was something that uh, you know, we've been able to create a market environment where you can participate remotely. So we were already built for this. And um, people people jumped right in, and uh, we've actually had record numbers of bidders in our last two auctions back to back. We we set uh, company records for participation, uh, and that was really just picking up on a trend that started. And uh, we saw the groundwork in 2016. Um, the fire really lit in 2017 with session one of the O'Brien collection, um, and we've just been 
continuing on that trajectory. And yeah, I think we definitely got some more attention though during lockdown, uh, which is really encouraging. Yeah. So what do you think that you've changed in that time that will continue on? I guess there was sort of a proof of concept for some of the online content that we were putting out there. Um, it, it demonstrated that the, the industry can not only survive, but thrive with what, uh, with online bidding, uh, with online catalogs, with video calls instead of in-person previews. Um, so that was, that was encouraging to see that that was, um, you know, sufficient to have a healthy marketplace and, you know, people want, they just want to participate and have access to great decoys and sporting art. Um, and if you can create an environment where they feel comfortable doing that, um, there's, there's a lot to be, a lot to be accomplished. I was talking to Robbie Smith actually earlier this day, today, we were talking about this collection that might come in the museum and he was making the comment about how online auctions, and you let me know if, how we think about this, the ability to like sit on your couch and like have a glass of whiskey and watch the auction, how much he thinks that's affecting like the comfort level and what people are buying, like to be able to like be in your home and have your like, yeah, your drink with you and just kind of enjoy it. The auction concept, um, you know, it started off as you've got an auctioneer in the front of an auction hall with a room full of people. And, you know, over time, auction houses added phones to the back of the room so people could participate remotely. And then online bidding platforms came on board and the catalog started to move online. So we've had, historically, we've had this old school in-person auction. We've got a great uh, hard copy catalog that we mail out to thousands of people each auction. Um, and none of that has gone anywhere, uh, but we've been able to move into the digital space really comfortably. And before lockdown, we were hearing about people having bidding parties where a few guys would get together, have some drinks and, you know, they'd take in the auction from home. And, you know, that certainly picked up while people were, you know, had to be remote. Really just a lot of the things that were already in place became more intense uh, and that's been, been fun to see people adapted really seamlessly. Yeah. He also made a comment that I didn't even think about that I thought was pretty funny. He said, when you're at the live auction, sometimes like your buddy will bid on something you want and then you don't want to bid against them cause you feel bad. And, but when you're <laughs> online, you don't have to do that cause you don't have any idea who's bidding against you. Uh, that, that certainly could be a, <laughs> could be a factor that, that works in the favor of consigners. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's really just represents a healthy marketplace where right. people are participating and, uh, you know, as they see fit at the time, which is great. It's what we want to encourage. So decoy shows are starting to come back. Um, they're advertising them and you know, they're coming back on the schedule. How is them coming back going to impact the community going forward? Decoy shows have been a, a big part of decoy collecting from the earliest years. It was a natural get together of collectors, um, you know, just meeting up at their houses or central locations. And then they turned into collecting clubs and uh, now formal shows. And some of these shows are, are really large. Uh, I was just on the phone today with one of the guys from the North American Decoy Collectors uh, Club. They just rebranded from being the Midwest Club, which was fitting because they became much more than the Midwest Decoy Collectors Club. 
Uh, so now their name really fits what they, what they do. And, you know, they've actually added a show this year to sort of make up for, for a lost show. Some other clubs are doing that as well. And the show aspect, it, it satisfies the social element for the people that want the social element. And I imagine, you know, with Ducks Unlimited, there's a huge social element. So you, you can understand that entirely. Um, and then there's also a huge part of the market. It's sort of the silent majority of the market that doesn't participate in clubs, doesn't participate in shows. Uh, they've never come to an auction before. And you can't begin to believe how big a part of the market they are. But I just, I just want to give, give them a shout out because, you know, as important as the shows are, uh, there's a, a much quieter but very vibrant culture of, of decoy collecting happening out there as well. One thing we always mention on here with collectors is when you have new collectors coming in and we like advice for them. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about like how important those decoy shows are for like new collectors, like the just getting started younger collectors and meeting those people that can help them along the way. Because decoy shows are really the the place to meet those people, like mentors and things like that. I was just reading an obituary for a, a longtime collector today. And a lot of people were talking about that mentorship aspect, which is a, a huge part of it. And shows historically have been a great place for people to to connect personally and develop those relationships. And sometimes you'll, you'll pick up your dealer of choice or your mentor, or, you know, your next best friend uh, at a decoy show. Uh, so that's the, the human side of it. Um, from the, the decoy side of it, the hands-on aspect is, is really significant for just getting in there and giving yourself the most exposure possible to the inventory. So, you know, as an auction house, we have a, a large, a large preview session, uh, before the auction. And that used to just be really the, the preview the night before the sale. And over time, as the market's grown, uh, the preview turned into, you know, Steve O'Brien, who owns the company, uh, and I were the two decoy specialists here. We'll go out on the road and bring that preview to people's homes. Um, and then also we open up our, our office gallery here in Massachusetts, um, for, we have people previewing all year round, but really that month before the sale, um, we encourage people to come by and, and preview things because we want to encourage that exposure and that hands-on aspect, uh, for people that, that are interested. That has to be probably one of the more enjoyable parts of your job is going in to people's homes and showing them the decoys and getting like that community aspect for you. Like, how is that for you? Yeah. The, the community aspect f for me personally, you know, that was the, the first aspect of it just growing up with a father that's a, a carver because my father, he worked with some dealers, but decoys haven't never really cracked the gallery space or didn't regularly crack into the, the art gallery space. So a lot of times uh, a carver like my father would, you know, have a lot of relationships with people. So as a kid, um, you know, I, I experienced and enjoyed a lot of those personal relationships uh, that came through decoys. And that's something that, that I've always had. And it's a huge part of, of what I do now is, uh, you know, 
spend time with people that share common passions. And uh, fortunately, that spills over into some great hunting and fishing and uh, some outdoor time with, with people that also like collecting decoys. Yeah, I can relate to that a lot. I mean, I, <laughs> as with growing up through Ducks Unlimited, like, I don't know how many times I've sat like in our truck and talked to some guy in a field for three hours. And like, usually I was pretty bored and I was playing in the dirt, but it was, <laughs> yeah, I've done a lot of that. And it's, yeah, it kind of like sticks with you. It's just kind of a part of who you are. Absolutely. So um, to go back to that, like silent community that you don't really hear about of collectors, um, in your last show, you had the, um, in the last show, you did the Lyndon Johnson, the Linda Johnson collections. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of is a good representative of that um, other type of collector. Can you speak a little bit about her and kind of how she kind of represents that community or did represent that community? Yeah, absolutely. So we have the huge honor of representing the decoy collect- collection of Linda Johnson in this last sporting sale 2020 uh, it had a lot of the headliners of the sale, including the three Kroll dust jacket plover that were made famous on the eponymous dust jacket of the New England decoys book, uh, which we just sold for about a million dollars for the trio. Um, and when Linda Johnson came in and bought those birds, um, I, I'm going to say nobody in the decoy world knew who she was and she made a, a huge splash, um, and she, she wasn't a decoy person. She was an Americana and folk art person. Um, and, and a lot more, she came from a family of, of collectors that were not decoy collectors, but huge in other, other areas of art and collectibles. Um, so she's a, a perfect example because a, a decoy collector never would have known about her, except she came in and made a big splash and, uh, as a buyer. And then she just sold her collection publicly with her name on it. Um, but in, in the middle, she was not, uh, doing the decoy events. Yeah. What percentage would you think of people like her? She makes up the decoy market. Like what percentage would that be? It's pretty significant. I think I'd try to illustrate that, um, by, if you look at the, you, you get our auction catalogs and you look at the cover and there's usually going to be, you know, three to 10 highlights from the sale. And it's a rare exception when one of those top lots, you know, those lots that are breaking the $100,000 mark, it's a very rare exception that one ever sells in the auction hall. So that gives you an idea um, of where they're going. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, when I talk, I get to see behind the curtain as a, as the auctioneer, um, but when I talk to people who are sort of guessing, it confirms to me that there's there's a lot of uncertainty of who some of these people are because they're not showing up. So dollars and cents wise, I wouldn't be surprised if it's every bit of 50 percent or more of the market. Wow. Um, it's but the nature of their participation is they're doing it quietly. You know, they might have a small group of people that they share their collection with. We've been talking about a gentleman now who, you know, started collecting very quietly and is now beginning to to be more public uh, with his collection. So that's also a, a trend where you'll see somebody develop as a collector in a smaller circle and then. Open. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. 
Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Open up over time. Yeah, do you find since you're mostly online now, they still um, bid over the phone? People have become much more confident doing everything online. I, I know I'm that way in my day-to-day life, and we're really seeing that um, click-to-buy participation come into the art world as well. Uh, so the phones are, are still very active in a normal auction. Uh, we'll usually have about a dozen phone lines ready for an auction. Sometimes we have overflow on that. Uh, but more and more is going into the clicks and that's a trend that I can't imagine is going anywhere. Yeah. To talk about some recent highlights in the marketplace. Um, so, you know, this last year, obviously, cause the shows were down, uh, the auctions have really, uh, taken, or taken more of the spotlight of the market. So some of the highlights that we've seen or, you know, back in our winter sales, so that was February, 2021. Um, you know, Kroll continued to be a perennial favorite. We had a pair of Elmer Kroll Bob White quail uh, decoratives. They're absolutely spectacular. Um, but they, they surprised me when they did something like close to 10 times the estimate going over 200,000. Um, that was that was fun to see. And they're they're an amazing pair. It's, it's the kind of thing where you can't go out and get another. So I understand how they got there. Uh, we also saw a Kroll Woodcock in that sale go for 90,000. So, you know, just continued strength for Kroll. Um, you know, jumping forward to this sale, we had, uh, the Johnson collection, which we already discussed, uh, had a lot of shorebirds in it. There was a Nichols feeding yellow legs that sold for about a hundred thousand, the Kroll dust jacket trio. Uh, they sold as individual lots, but together that was about a million dollars, uh, Actually, a really exciting one uh, market-wise and just on a, a kind of personal decoy passion level was the 8th Kankakee Pintail uh, Decoy. That one was amazing. I wish I could like show people what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can get an image of this one out there. So it's it's a pintail and the neck is as thin as you can imagine. It's like a chopstick almost. This beautifully executed head. There's now four drakes known and four hens known. Uh, this one was actually coming directly out of the family of the original hunter, probably also the carver, Herman Tronovsky, um, from outside of Chicago over in Indiana. Uh, but we, we hammered that down at 155,000. So it was 186,000 all in, uh, a record for the Kankakee rig. And uh, just really exciting to anytime I get to handle one of those, it's, it's a pleasure. I, I call that rig the, the most exciting material decoy discovery of the 21st century. Uh, so that was, that was special. Then looking down the line, you know, we had more high flyer lots. I think there's, there's a couple other six figure lots in the sale, but you know, quickly we can jump over to, some of the sectors of the market that have really seen some pop. This isn't too surprising uh, considering the number of new people um, that, that came into the market recently, 
but we were seeing uh, miniatures and decoratives and contemporary carvings, which is where a lot of people will start off because um, they don't have as many variables as old decoys. So it's an easier place to participate remotely. It's an easier place to participate for somebody who's, who's just getting started. And that's not to say that really advanced collectors aren't also participating there. Um, but they, they help remove some of the, some of the more complex aspects of old decoys like paint history and repairs. But we saw, you know, great results with contemporary carvers. We set some world record prices for contemporary carvers. We saw some of the highest prices we ever have for miniature carvings by, um, Elmer Kroll <laughs> to say his name again, uh, and AJ King. We had some AJ King minis that were routinely selling for over $10,000. One pair of doves with some little chicks in the nest, uh, popped over $20,000. You have to brag for a second because you have to tell about your your decoy that sold. You have a record here. <laughs> Personally, I'm going to make you do it. I'm going to make you embarrass yourself. I think I'm blushing. Um, so uh, it was exciting to be in the in the you know staff only auction hall, and the auctioneer certainly was having fun with it. But uh, three decoys I carved back in uh, high school. Uh, I was probably 16, 17 years old, and sold back then for you know, hundreds of dollars, which was a, a real sum at the time. Still is. They uh, The first one came up and set a record for a Colin McNair decoy. And then the second one broke that record. And the third one came in at $6,000, uh, hitting the new water, watermark for for this not at all prolific carver. Um, so that, that was a huge honor. To, <laughs> Still to, awesome. <laughs> yeah. And the best part about it was... Um, you know, I don't, the person that bought it isn't even somebody that I know personally. So uh, it, was, it was, that was fun. Thank you. One of the decoys I kind of want to talk about, because I think it's a good example for this. Um, a lot of times people who don't collect decoys or really know much about it, they're always like, how does that, how do they go for what they go for? Like in the six figures. So um, was the McCleary Mason that you sold? And a lot of people know about Mason's. Um, so they're, if, in, if they know anything about decoys, Masons are usually one of them. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want you to, can you use that as an example to kind of explain why they cost what they cost for people to kind of give the understanding of that price? Yeah. So yeah, Mason is uh, probably by a wide margin, the most prolific producer of old painted wooden birds there. You find them all across the country. They were hunted from coast to coast. Um really everywhere. So they're, they're a great place to kind of describe a, a test scenario for, for decoys. Um, the one that you mentioned, uh, was a super early Mason. Um, it's called the slope breast model. So it's a very distinguished style of Mason with a flat bottom, uh, that you only see in this very early time period. And this one was in pretty by decoy standards, mint condition. Um, it had been in the collection of James McCleary, who is one of the top two decoy collectors of all time. Uh, he, he was not only a top decoy collector, but if you just split out his Mason collection, he was probably, I, I think I'm not offending anybody. I think he must've been the top Mason collector of all time um, as well, just with that sub collection. Uh, and he described Mason as, you know, 
sort of the, the king of factory decoys. Um, this was one of his, one of his best birds. And, you know, since he owned it, a number of authors and other folks have described it as, you know, Mason at its best. It had the form, it had the condition, it had the paint, it has the rarity, it has the blessing of, you know, a, a revered collector in McCleary. Um, so it's really everything that somebody's looking for. And I think uh, one gentleman I talked to before the auction uh, mentioned the possibility of, of maybe getting a tattoo of this decoy. I mean, this this bird evoked passion. Um, and, you know, when when an object checks all of those boxes and it's, you know, it's a great looking piece of sculpture on the shelf on top of that, when it checks all of those boxes and things line up on auction day, um, you know, that's when record prices are set. And that certainly happened with this bird uh, where, you know, some serious Mason collectors said, you know, this is my one shot of owning one of the absolute best Mason decoys in existence. And if I don't pull the trigger today, then you know, I'll be thinking about it later and that's it. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's rarity. Um, it's the, the kind of pre-established collectability. So the, the market for, for decoys, the market for Masons has been developing and building on itself, uh, as a cash market really since the seventies and um, yeah, a little bit of, a little bit of auction magic sprinkled on top and it, it worked out well. So I've noticed as people are wanting to loan stuff to the museum for exhibit and I've kind of started to notice, I didn't notice it at first, but I have like the more we've become established in the museum that I feel like people are doing it for the, like, are wanting to get that provenance on there. Um, mm -hmm. and do you think that, am I right in guessing that they're wanting that like on that name, like that they're wanting to have it displayed and exhibited for that reason? Yeah. Pe people collect for a lot of different reasons and, you know, there's as many reasons as there are collectors, you know, having the prestige of being involved with a, a major cultural institution like Ducks Unlimited, uh, or some of the museums around the country, it has its appeal to me when i offer a decoy for sale. If it has provenance like that, it has an exhibition history. Uh, I absolutely want to present that. Um, you know, when you flip through our catalogs, you'll see some of those major birds. You know, it, it takes a long time to come up with a list of all the museums that, you know, a bird from the, take the masterworks, of the Illinois river collection, you know, that those birds have been in the Ward museum in Salisbury. They've been in a major museum in the Midwest. They've been in the Peoria Riverfront Museum um, and among other places, they're in a number of different books. And that absolutely means something to have, you know, that type of validation uh, and that kind of really a, a collecting pedigree. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it just, and speaking of museums, I mean, one thing we're seeing in the decoy community now that's really exciting and you're a part of this you as a museum curator are part of a, a cohort of museum curators. And you've got the uh, Shelburne Museum up in Vermont with Corey Rogers, who absolutely loves decoys, produced a book on decoys. The Shelburne Museum just redid their, their decoy exhibit, which is one of the, I mentioned it in the last podcast, it's the best uh, permanent decoy display out there. Um, you know, coming up really quickly, you have the Peoria Riverfront Museum. They just founded the Center for American Decoys, 
uh, out in Illinois and they've just got some, some money to go along with that. So they're actually making acquisitions in addition to adding uh, space dedicated for decoys. Uh, obviously you've got the Ward Museum in Salisbury, Maryland, uh, named for the Ward brothers. That's a, a really healthy institution down there. Uh, but I've been really encouraged to see that type of participation. And actually, as we talk right now, um, Steve O'Brien, the owner of Copley, is doing a symposium at a major American museum reviewing their decoy collection uh, with some other specialists, um, you know, as they reevaluate what they have on hand, uh, which is really exciting to see. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, like, and even just like some of the major museums are having decoys now in their collections, which is exciting as well. It's not just us waterfowl specific museums. It's also some of the major art museums. Absolutely. Hey, Katie, what do you, what do you have coming up, Katie? What's on your, uh, your exhibition schedule? We have an Illinois um, call collection coming in, in August. It comes in at the end of August. Um, it is Ryan Graves' collection. Excellent. Well, I love what, I love what you have going on down there. Look forward to seeing it in person once we're moving around again. So we were talking about, you know, new collectors and everything. And I think one thing that our listeners might be interested in is, um, you know, what we refer to as the other duck season. Can you like mm-hmm. describe that and what that actually means? Uh, absolutely. The other duck season is what, you know, duck nuts can do when you're not allowed to go hunting. It is, you know, decoy collecting and you know, collecting great paintings of waterfowl. Uh, and you can do it year round. You know, we just held our auction in the middle of July when you're a long way from, from, uh, getting in the duck blind. Uh, so it's, it's absolutely a great way to round out, you know, a duck hunter's year, uh, with these, with these, uh, auctions and also the, the club, club events and club shows. Yeah. Speaking of this latest auction, um, Y'all set some few records for y'all, so you can, can you mention some of those? In addition to the records we set for individual makers um, and sort of categories of the market, one of the, the records I'm most proud of um, and impressed by, frankly, thank, thank you to our consigners for, for making this happen for the bidders that showed up. But we had an average price per lot of was just about $10,000. And to put that in context, um, in a normal year, the industry is going to be closer to probably about $3,000. Uh, if you get into a major single owner sale, um, sometimes you'll break the 10000 mark. But for an entire auction to come in at that level uh, was, I'm sure, some kind of record. Just really encouraging to see in terms of, of market health. And you know, when, I, when I think about how how we're able to move so smoothly into um, a format where you know, people aren't coming to the auction in person. You know, they still have an opportunity to preview, uh, but it's, it's a different format. Uh, and I, I have to think that the fact that we're doing hundreds of x-rays, we're UVing all these birds is playing in a, a really important role because um, that's just a key to the health of our industry moving forward is that pre-auction due diligence and creating a space where people can just open the catalog and, you know, still got to ask some questions, but they can open the catalog and feel really good about knowing, you know, what's being illustrated on that page. Yeah, it definitely 
increases confidence, like with their purchase, you know? Absolutely. It's just a, it's one of the, one of the keys to getting towards getting to what you love, which is, you know, interacting with the objects and hopefully taking a couple home. Well, thanks again, Colin, for coming on the show. It's always great having you and talking with you. All right. Thank you, Katie. Really appreciate it. Thanks to our special guest, Colin McNair. Thanks to our producer, Clay Baird. And thanks to you, our listeners, for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.